evening and welcome to another episode of Bakken Bios. I'm your host, Jason Spies. On tonight's episode, we feature Lynn Helms, Director of the North Dakota Industrial Commission and Director of the Department of Mineral Resources. Helms earned a bachelor degree in engineering from South Dakota School of Mines and Technology. His oil field work began as a roughneck working summer and school holidays. After graduation, Helms worked as a production engineer for Texaco in all the producing areas of Montana. In 1980, he began working for Hess in Williston as a production engineer, reservoir engineer, and asset team leader on projects in Abu Dhabi, Alaska, Arkansas, Louisiana, Mississippi, New Mexico, North Dakota, Texas, and Wyoming. In just a moment, our one-on-one interview with Lynn Helms. But first, I'd like to take this opportunity to mention our sponsor, The Crude Life. These Bakken bios are brought to you by The Crude Life. When you want to make money the crude way, contact The Crude Life. If you have a project that requires a crude approach, then contact The Crude Life. For more information, visit their website at www.thecrudelife.com. Now, back to our latest Bakken Bio interview with Jason Spies. This is Lynn Helms, Director of the North Dakota Industrial Commission Oil and Gas Division and the Director of the Department of Mineral Resources. Lynn Helms, Department of Mineral Resources. I <laughs> uh, wanted to first see if uh, you had any comments on just importing, exporting in general. Um, I know that uh, crude oil and uh, natural gas seem to be in the news lately when it comes to importing and exporting. You can certainly bypass this question if you'd like, because I understand it is quite controversial. Well, the question's controversial, and it is really outside our lane as far as the Industrial Commission. Uh, we. We deal mostly with the well spacing and well bore construction and, uh, and now the gathering systems or gathering lines to move the crude oil either to a uh, pipeline station or to a rail shipping station. So uh, it, it's more within the area of our pipeline authority. I think uh, it, it's going to be great to see this afternoon when they roll out the producer's study a Bakken crude oil characteristics. I'm looking forward to seeing that. Uh, we saw last week the refiner's side where uh, they they put out their study where they had collected 1,400 samples of Bakken crude oil in response to a, a FEMSA questionnaire that they got. And uh, so I, I'm anxious to see what the producer's analysis looks like in comparison to that. We have not seen any of the stuff from FEMSA or, or from the federal analysis. And so... Uh, It'll be really helpful to see where any new regulations really ought to focus in terms of uh, crude oil transportation. Speaking of crude oil transportation, um, the last time we spoke, I called 2014 the year of natural gas. I'm thinking it might be the year of the rail now that a little bit, but just your, your thoughts on both 2014, the year of natural gas, but also the rail in general. Well, as far as rail, uh, you know that shipping volume moves up and down with the differential between WTI and Brent and uh, the the increased transportation to the Gulf Coast out of Cushing, Oklahoma has really uh, collapsed that differential. So we're seeing a shift back onto the pipelines of a significant amount of crude oil uh, and that that is uh, helpful in this whole debate as we try to look at you know where any additional uh, regulations ought to apply themselves in in that whole shipping thing. I really think 
Jason, that you were right initially. This is going to be the year of natural gas. It certainly is for the Industrial Commission. Uh, as you know, we stepped out in September and let industry know that in 2014, uh, things were going to happen in the flaring world. And, and things are really happening. Uh, the Commission adopted a, a six-point plan on how to reduce flaring. Uh, a good deal of it was put together by this uh, petroleum industry task force, but there are some additional pieces that have to come together. Uh, for example, we're going to begin requiring gas capture plans with every drilling permit uh, starting June 1 and with every application for increased density uh, starting at our June hearings. And then uh, about July 1, which is the next Industrial Commission meeting after May, uh, we're looking at uh, taking a proposed order to the Commission that will you know, blend those gas capture plans into uh, flaring restrictions or, or any kind of production restrictions that might be applied in order to reduce the flaring. So there's going to be a huge focus uh, the second half of this year on natural gas, on uh, getting it uh, put to beneficial use, getting it gathered and transported and processed. And uh, I was in Tioga yesterday. I saw a new billion-dollar gas plant uh, commissioned, and, and uh, so the Tioga gas plant is up and running. We're now separating out ethane and shipping it to Calgary or, or Red Deer, Alberta, to be made into plastic. Um, last half of this year is really going to see some major uh, things happen in terms of natural gas. Well, I was wondering about that because uh, the One Oak announcement, the Hess announcement, construction has been happening, and now with Dakota um, uh, nat Natural Dakota LNG. LNG, thank you. Yes. Um, this is an amazing time here in North Dakota because this natural gas is a wet gas, so it's uh, it's a lot more of a premium. What, what's the long-term play with North Dakota natural gas? I mean, we're talking considerable uh, investments from, these are not small companies. No, they're not. Uh, and, and it takes enormous investments in order to take that next step in terms of moving natural gas now into a petrochemical manufacturing situation. And there's a certain critical mass that you have to have. We're, we're really essentially there. Uh, we're producing over a billion cubic feet of natural gas a day, and it is the richest natural gas on the planet. It contains more ethane and propane than, than any other gas uh, that people are processing. So we've reached that critical mass now, and we're starting to see the technology be built to separate those petrochemical feedstocks out of the natural gas. So the next step, the, the next really big step that we may really see start to take off by the conference two years from now is the attraction of these billion or multi-billion dollar petrochemical industries to the state of North Dakota, creating jobs in, in places that, that aren't in the oil patch, but processing this stuff and, and making the things that you like to use in your daily life. Uh, two more questions, and then uh, we'll let you get on with your busy life. Appreciate the time here. Uh, you brought up the uh, feedstock. Uh, we're, we're tracking the merger or the coexistence between ag and energy. It started you know, a long time ago with ethanol and some other things. But as we start to see this natural gas and a few of these plants, just your comments on the coexistence or merger of ag and energy. Well, there's, uh, there's a lot of overlap between ag and energy. First of all, out in the oil patch, uh, there's the overlap of we have to use a certain amount of the surface uh, that's traditionally been used for ag purposes to extract the energy. Uh, there have been efforts and there are ongoing efforts to reduce that footprint. Uh, we in the Bakken are the first people really to shrink it to less than 1% uh, 
uh, of the surface being used for energy extraction through multi-well pads and uh, the long-reach horizontals and everything that we're doing. So that's one of the intersections. But the really exciting intersection is yet to come. And that is when some of these worldwide manufacturers come here and they start to use uh, these feedstocks to make fertilizer, to make plastic, uh, to make pesticides, uh, to, to manufacture things that are used uh, every day by the ag industry in production agriculture. And, and one of them that the governor brought up when North Dakota LNG made its announcement was that now we're at the point where we can begin to use something besides propane for grain drying. And that has been a, a chronic problem every single fall. Uh, the farmers in eastern North Dakota have run out of propane because there wasn't enough to dry their corn and soybeans and get them ready for market. But we'll have the potential to move into other petrochemicals to use for that grain drying. So th there are things I'm sure we haven't even thought of yet, but we're on the, the threshold of, of entering that world where we start to see a lot of the really beneficial uses. Uh, final question, appreciate the time. Um, wanted to talk about technology a little bit. Um, Governor Ed Schaefer called this a technology play. Um, we're starting to see some, some major innovations. I just talked to a guy that's a backyard inventor that figured out a way to magnetically get things out of oil, and there's all kinds of different backyard inventions going on. But when it comes to technology, whether it be data sharing, sensors, or even the UAVs now, uh, where do you see technology heading here in the Bakken? Well, that's, uh, that's a really hard thing to predict, but I, I can say that North Dakota has always been uh, a high-technology oil and gas business. Um, we were late to the game. 1951 was our discovery well, and that wasn't able to happen until uh, 2D seismic technology developed and allowed them to find the Nesson Anticline or, or where the oil was located in the Nesson Anticline. And ever since then, uh, North Dakota oil and gas production has required the, the cutting-edge technology, whether it's been in horizontal drilling or hydraulic fracturing or cementing. Uh, our weather conditions are tough. Our geology is tough. And uh, we're deep and hot in terms of our rocks, so always have been at the cutting edge. We're excited about some of the applications of UAVs for pipeline monitoring, for reclamation monitoring, for uh, uh, you know, just looking at the, the footprint of oil and gas uh, on, on the farmland. Uh, Technology-wise, yeah, there are inventors every day looking at ways to put our natural gas to beneficial use, uh, to make something new and different out of it, uh, whether it is a, a feedstock or electricity or something like that. I, we will continue to be uh, a high-tech energy play uh, because our... our uh, Geography and geology have always demanded that. Now, your old stomping grounds are right on the other side of the border, isn't that correct, on the Dakotas? Well, that's right. I grew up on a cattle ranch uh, just south of the, the North Dakota-South Dakota border, uh, just on the South Dakota side. So, uh, you know, and that left a permanent imprint on me. When you spend the first 18 years of your life uh, farming and ranching, mm -hmm. uh, you learn about the prairie and uh, wildlife and ecosystems. And uh, so I spent as much time doing that as I did in the oil and gas industry, and, and both of those things uh, really color my view of how this industry should interact with the environment and the geography and, and uh, how it should move forward. I just say that because we've got affiliates down there, so you probably yeah. got relatives listening <laughs> to you right now. There's a good chance of it. 
Yes, sir. Thank you, Mr. Helms. All right, Jason. Thanks. For more information on Lynn Helms or to listen to the full-length interview, visit our website at www.buildingthebakken.com. These Bakken bio interviews are brought to you by The Crude Life. When you want to make money the crude way, contact The Crude Life. Learn more by visiting their website at www.thecrudelife.com. This has been another episode of Bakken Bios. I'm your host, Jason Spies.